So that's the question. Is your God too small? This is the answer. Your God is too small. And because American Christians, especially American Christians, we like, to, we like to summarize and we like to define God in a way that we can manage and we can predict and we can control. Because if there's one thing we as Americans love, we love to manage things, we love to be able to predict things, and we love to control things. But when we start talking about the God of the Bible, the, the God of the Bible is, I can't even, I, I run out of words to describe how large and holy and perfect and wonderful he is. Like when we talk about the God of the Bible, he is anything but manageable, controllable, or predictable. Now, some of us in here, what this whole series is designed to do is to grow the vision of God that you have in your life, because I'm convinced that we have confined him, and that by our unbelief, he, he is, we're not running in freedom, we're running in some kind of soft, I don't know, paralyzed, neutered form of Christianity, and so we're going to front load the word of God today. I'm going to proclaim the living word of God. You will hear his voice in it, and he will offer you freedom. Because the God that we serve is beautiful, holy, bigger than, bigger than the words that I have out of my mouth. And so we're, later in this series, we're going to talk about the book of Job. Uh, if you want a light read, go read Job. Super uplifting. Um, some bad stuff happens to Job, and his friends come and try to help him, but they offer no help. Later in, in chapter 26 of Job, uh, Job speaks back, and he starts proclaiming all the mighty things that God does, like creation and shaking the Hades. Like, this is amazing stuff. You should go read it. But at the end of it, he says this, behold, these are but the outskirts of his ways, and how small a whisper do we hear of him. But the thunder of his power, who can understand? And so we serve a God that I feel like we have this much view, so I'm gonna pray that we would, our view would be expanded. Jesus, rule this room. I believe you have given me words to speak, and I ask, Holy Spirit, that you would deliver them to the hearts of those who hear. Give us ears to hear and hearts that are willing to obey. Jesus, you are the great redeemer, freedom bringer. You are the ruler of the kingdom of heaven. Come into this place. Holy Spirit, pour out. Holy Spirit, come. In Jesus' name, by the blood of the Lamb, amen. So with this series, what we're doing is actually looking at if we actually believed what the Bible said, I think we would live different. So if we actually believed that our sins were removed from us, we would live differently. And I know if you're in here, you're like, I believe it, and I only have to ask one question just to reveal how much you believe it, and I'm not being mean to you. Who's the last person you told about how good it was that God gave you his righteousness? And since no one wants to look at me right now, not a lot, right? And so we, we know a message, but do we believe it? We know the truth, but has it set us free? I can go all, all the things of Christianity. Like if we actually believe the God of heaven and earth heard our prayers, we would lay hands on everybody. There wouldn't be a person that walked by me that, I mean, lady in a walker at McDonald's. Hey, lady, I know a God who hears my prayers. Can I pray for you? We would pray with such expectancy if we believed it. 
Like we would worship God with adoration. Like you all right now, if we believed that God is as worthy as the Bible paints a picture of, you'd be like, can you stop talking? Can you, I, I, wanna, I wanna sing to my God. I wanna worship him. I wanna enter into his course with praise. This would be our lives. And so you, you have to see that. I think we're living this, this version where we say things with our mouth. We might even believe them to some degree, but we're not walking them out. And I believe God wants to apply the finished work of Christ to your life today. And as we look at it, this is what I need you to hear me say, because I'm probably going to yell today. I was laying in my living room. I was like, Lord, I don't want to yell, but this is the greatest news I've ever heard. So listen to me. I'm not mad at you. Even better, God's not mad at you. Did you hear me? God is not mad at you. And the sooner you figure that out, the sooner you're going to enter into the promises that he has already paid for. There's a freedom and there's a life and there's a joy eternal that starts right here, right now by knowing Jesus here. And I know some of you this morning, you brought in some shame and you brought in some guilt and I'm, I just, I wanna get that off. By our unbelief, we're saying with our mouths, but by our unbelief, we have limited the finished work of the cross. Did you know that Christians should be the freest people on the planet? I mean, we should be just giddy, stupid, happy about it. The joy of the Lord is our strength. We say things like this all the time. We put them on our coffee mugs, and then we so like, like walk in like, right? And so there's a verse that says, if the Son has set you free... You are free indeed. Jesus brings freedom. Jesus brings life. And Jesus is powerful. And so let's do this. Let's start where we should start, with God. Our God is holy. One second. Middle school students, leave. Great. Our God is holy, all right? This is the understanding of all of Scripture, that we have a holy, infinitely awesome, bigger-than-words God that his number one defining characteristic is holiness. It's not something about him. It's like who he is. And when I talk about holiness, I always feel like I watch people's eyes kind of like, okay, holy, right? We know what we're supposed to say it about him. We know the Bible says it a lot. It, 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 we, I can't even adequately describe it, but it means that he is unique, other, different, beautiful, glorious. Like he's holy, 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 the Bible says. And when you look in the Bible, this term of holiness describes both his goodness and his power. And if you get too close to it, it'll kill you. And I think the best illustration I've ever heard, hands down, is it's like the sun. So picture the sun, right? So here's the sun. It emanates out energy and light and power, right? Now, it is good that we, as earth dwellers, live close enough to the sun to have light and gravity and all the things that we have, right? It's good. Let's say you are on the surface of the sun right now. What happens? You're done, not even, just like, it's just not even there anymore, right? Same thing with the holiness of God. So that the goodness and the holiness and the worthiness and the otherness of God, when men and women in the Bible enter into God's holiness, like Isaiah, I'm about to read it to you, he's gonna come into the presence of God, he's gonna see the God, God of heaven and earth, and he's going to go, I should not be here. And he's going to ask for God to like, basically, he's like, I should, I'm, I'm gonna die, 
I'll prove it to you. Isaiah 6. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two, he covered his face, and with two, he covered his feet. And with two, he flew, and one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. So just one look who God is, and we are like, oh, I want you, but I can't get close to you. Oh, you're beautiful. You're amazing. Oh, woe is me. Do you see this thing happening? We're holy, holy, holy. This is the defining characteristic of our God, that if we get too close to him with sin, we will burn up. In fact, another has made comments about this. R.C. Sproul, he said, the Bible says that God is holy, holy, holy. Not that he's merely holy, or even holy, holy, he is holy, holy, holy. The Bible never says that God is love, 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 or mercy, 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 or wrath, 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 or justice, justice, justice. It does say that he is holy, holy, holy. The whole earth is full of his glory. So our God is the fullness of holiness. Holy, holy, holy. You can't approach him without being like, I shouldn't be here. But you were made to know him. You were made to come into that presence of that king, of that God, and not burn up. But then sin entered, right? And now we know, we, now we really know, we don't go close to God if we're not holy, if we're not clean, if we're not pure. We just don't go there because it's terrifying to be in the presence of a holy God and be dirty with sin. So what are we to do? How do we get there? How does this righteousness and this holiness get applied to my life so I can know the God I was created for? I'm glad you asked. Open your Bible to Hebrews chapter one. We're gonna be in Hebrews the rest of the day and I really do want you to open up a Bible and open it there. All right, Hebrews chapter one is gonna tell us about how we can come close to this God, about how you can know him. Hebrews one, verse one. Long ago and many times in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he also created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God in the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. So there's this starting point, right? Our God speaks and he has spoken for a long time to many prophets and to our fathers, Father Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He has done things like burning bushes and do, 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 do heavy uh, sheepskins. And like our God speaks and he has spoken over and over and over and over again. But in these days, he has spoken to us 
primarily through his son who is the exact radiance of the glory of God. And so if you wanna know what God's glory looks like, look at Jesus. If you wanna know what God is like, look at Jesus. And what did Jesus do? After making purification for our sins, after making a way for us to be cleansed, he sat down at the right hand of the Father because the work was finished. So Jesus... God has spoken to us by Jesus. Jesus' life, Jesus' words, and Jesus' death was the payment for my purifications, and now my record's clean. I have nothing held against me. And when I come to Jesus, I can go, forgive me and give me your righteousness, and he does. This is the best news I could give you. This is it, right? This is like, whoa, I can know God, I can know him, right? I can be face to face with him, I've been purified, I can come to a holy God now? Yes, emphatically yes. And here's the thing, most of you, you are waiting. You're like, that's what I'm waiting for, I'm waiting for face to face with God in heaven. Why? Right now, Jesus is alive, right now. Jesus purifies. Right now, Jesus brings freedom. Right now, the cross speaks and bids you to come. That you might know, I mean know, in the most intimate way of the word, know this God. To know him and to know him and know him. And so Jesus calls us to a better say. So if God spoke to us by the Son, some of you should be saying, what did he say? I'll give you one thing that I think is really important for today. Matthew 11. Come to me. Love it. That's Jesus talking to you. Come to me. Come here. Come close to me. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So does your Christian life match that verse? Is it easy and light and full of joy? Is there rest for your soul? Are you just like every morning, oh, it's so good to be here with you, Jesus? Because this is the, the picture the Bible paints, is one that is not a burden, that is not like, oh, but it is like, this is amazing. I know him now. And so the reality is you have Jesus saying, come learn from me, come to me, take your yoke off, take my yoke, which is not a burden at all, and have life eternal, have freedom eternal. Christians should be the most hill-clicking, joyous, free people on the planet. Why aren't we? Why aren't we? And I think it's because somewhere in there was a disconnect. We confessed with our mouth the orthodox creeds of the faith. We believed in our heart, but we never came and sat at Jesus' feet and learned from him and exchanged our burdens for his. So here's Jesus, and right standing with God, do you hear what he said? Come to me, and I'll give you rest for your soul. So right standing with God, righteousness from Jesus equals rest. Deep, untouchable rest in the hands of God. So 
what if, what if you actually had peace with God? Like, what if we actually believed what we say we believe? that I'm not condemned, that there is no shame, and that I can come in all the time and talk to my father? What if we actually believed it? And I know you're like, I actually believe it. But I feel that so many of us, we're treating the righteousness of Christ, this gift, as if it's one of those dumb gifts that somebody re-gifts you at Christmas. You know what I mean? That stuff that's in your house and they have like a white elephant party and you're like, I'll give this crap away. Right? And some of you are even mad right now. Like, stop talking to me about the gospel and how I can come into the presence of God. Start talking to me about how I can have financial peace or my marriage. This is the best gift. This is life. Everything else is a plus from here. I'm spitting everywhere today. Woo! I'm fired up. We should have skipped in here. We should have been like, I am so free. Can I tell you how free I am? Can I tell you how good it is to know my God? He took all my burdens away. Why are you holding on to your burdens? Jesus said, come to me, I'll give you rest. Why aren't you coming to him and getting rest? Because we're living under something. I think we're living in an old covenant when we need to go into the new one. So go go to Hebrews 8. My challenge to you today is don't think Jesus isn't enough. Jesus is powerful. Jesus will wash you so clean. Woo! right? No man, woman, kid, or experience on earth is anywhere near Jesus. None. There is none. And so you, I think some of us, we took his name, but we're clinging to so many things, and he wants freedom for you. He wants to apply the finished work to you. In the Old Testament, in the Old Testament, in the Old Covenant, you know how they had to get rest? You had to try to get right. You know how they had to try to get righteousness so you'd have peace in your soul? You had to follow 613 laws, 10 commandments, and a whole bunch of ritual purification laws. Sounds super easy, right? You know how many people could do it? Zero. Zero could. So they enter into this covenant, this relational agreement with the God of heaven and earth, and they know that he's holy because they've watched too many people mess around with God and die. And so they want to be morally pure. Like, let's not murder anybody. That's a moral law, all right? But then on top of that, it was stay away from dead things. Don't be around certain bodily fluids. And certainly don't eat that food because that'll make you ritually unclean. Now, here's the problem. No man or woman can do that. Everybody fails. And so God, in his grace, this is God's grace to his people, knowing they would sin, said, when you sin, an animal must die in your place. So animal sacrifice. And I know you're all like, ew, I know. Because you're like, that's so Old Testament. It is. But it's God's grace to his people because they should have died. That sin should kill them. And God goes, no, 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 you're not gonna die. You're gonna sacrifice an animal and its blood, its life force is gonna be payment and it's gonna purify you so you can come and I can be in your presence and you not die. Now, what it was supposed to do, what it was supposed to do was create a sense of like, I so don't wanna sin. I don't wanna sin and it'll hold them back. And then every time they're like, God, I don't, I'm, I'm so sorry for my sin that I have to kill this animal to pay for it. That they would stop, right? But they didn't stop. They just kept sinning and sinning and sinning and sinning and the blood never stopped flowing. 
It never stop, day or night. They're constantly sacrificing animals because they're like, we can't get this sin off of us, but we know we're supposed to belong to this God. Oh my gosh, what a cycle, right? And so those, those prophets, those prophets that God spoke to long ago in many ways and many times, they started proclaiming something, a promise that there was going to be a Messiah. There was going to be a savior that would come. And you know one of the things that he was going to be called? The Lamb of God. Because he was gonna lay his life down for his people. And he was gonna cleanse them once and forever. There would be no more altars or payments. There would be no more bulls and goats and sheep. It would be one payment, we are free. And so God knew we couldn't do it. God had grace on his people. You know why? So I already said it's part of this this Old Testament covenant. Covenants are relational, y'all. Covenants, a marriage is a covenant. It is an agreement between two people to love each other fully and forever. That's a covenant that is relational in manner. You are in a contract with Verizon. A contract is I will pay you for a thing, a service or a good, and you will deliver or I will cancel my contract. That is not the relationship you are in with the God of heaven and earth. You are in a covenant, a covenantal relationship with the God of everything, and he has covenanted himself to you. And it is not based on your good deeds or your merits or your abilities. It's based on his And so his promises are better. His promises are true. And so some of us, we're back here going, I gotta earn it. What's the Bible have to say? Hebrews 8, verse six. But as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is as much more excellent than the old as the covenant he mediates is better. Since it is enacted on better promises. For if that first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion to look for a second. So if... It worked. If sacrificing bulls and sheep worked, I wouldn't be talking to you right now. I'd be, that's what I would be doing. But it didn't work, and it never could have worked. And so God in his grace sends Jesus, who enacts a better covenant with better promises purchased with a better payment, his very own blood. And where is Jesus right now? Sitting at the right hand of the Father, Having, having paid for the purification of your sins, meaning it's done, nothing else to do. All you get to do is enjoy. So God establishes this better covenant by the blood of Jesus and cleanses and purifies us. And I know some of you are like, yee, but you have to understand what's about to happen. So once a year, the high priest, he would go into the Holy of Holies which I know for us, we're not Jewish, and so we don't understand. In the temple, there was many, many rooms. There is the inner court, and then there was the Holy of Holies. No one goes in the Holy of Holies because that's where God is, all right? And if you go in there and you are not clean, even if you're the high priest for once a year, you die. So once a year, the high priest would go into the Holy of Holies having sacrificed for his own sin and apply blood to the mercy seat that should cover and purify all of the people. And then along the way, on the way back out, he'd take a bowl of that blood. And I know you're all like, ew, blood. It symbolizes life and payment. And he would sprinkle that blood all over the temple. Lord, we understand our sin has a cost. 
And Lord, we understand that you alone purify us. And Lord, and so he would cleanse not only the temple and the people, but even the very ground and the walls. And you're like, that's a lot of blood. I was like, yeah, that's a lot of blood. Because you don't, it's not just the sin that's in them. Sin starts to affect everything. Even the social structures that we were in, you see it in their day and you see it in ours. Even our social structures are contaminated by sin where we oppress the poor and we don't love people the way God designed us to. This is sin seeping into every level. And so they're purifying, purifying, constantly purifying, constantly, oh, we're dirty. Oh, we're simple. Oh, purify us, Lord. And if that man made it out of there alive, like high priest makes it out without having to get dragged out by his ankle, made it another year, his conscience is still, still stained by sin, and he still has to make sacrifices for himself. But not our high priest, not our mediator, not our savior, not our king. And so in Romans chapter 10, it tells us what Jesus does to sprinkle and clean us. It says, therefore, brothers... Since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Jesus came. Jesus came and the blood of Jesus washed away every unlawful evil thing that I ever wish I ever did. There's a long laundry list that way in Andrew's life. Every one of them gone. There's no more guilt in the name of Jesus. There's no more shame in the name of Jesus. There's no more condemnation for you in Jesus. Why? Because Jesus, our king, nailed it to the tree and there's nothing left for you. Live on the right side of the cross. Some of you are over here and you're like, I feel so condemned and weighty. Oh, I gotta do so much. You don't have to do anything. It's already been done. Did you hear what he said? We have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus. That word confidence is funny to me. Confidence is 4 a.m. last night, my daughter kicks in my door. That's confidence. Gotta go pee. Yes, let's do this. We have confidence. We have confidence by a better covenant, by a better promise, by the blood of the lamb to come into the holy presence of God and not burn up. Which means you get to know him today if you want to. Which means you're not on the outside. Which means there's no level of shame, guilt, or any flavor of sin that will keep you from the father if you come to the son. The son is powerful. The son, Jesus will wash you so clean. You will never be the same. You will never be the same. And so when we look at this, man, living on the right side of the cross means I literally get to say, God, I agree with your word that there's no condemnation for me anymore. And I come in by the blood of Jesus. Not, not with boasts. I don't come before a holy God with like, man, I'm really good. No, I come before a holy God and go, I believe the finished work of Christ lets me be here. It's a, it's a great joy though. Wow, I get to be here. Did you know that after Jesus is resurrected, 
the Bible says that God publicly mocked and laughed at those powers. So he laughs at Satan. Oh, you thought you were going to get them, <laughs> right? You thought sin was going to destroy them. Ha! My son is more powerful. He publicly mocked and then declared that it was finished. And so if Jesus is the answer, and he's the great savior of the world, and he is, he brings freedom everywhere he goes. And shame is gone, and guilt is gone, and condemnation is gone. I'm going to ask one question. It's an honest question. Why is there so much regret, shame, and guilt, and condemnation all over us? Why? You want to know the number one driving force in most Christians' lives? Shame. Shame. There's no shame for you. None. No shame. Only all there is is an invitation to be made so clean it doesn't cling to you anymore. And Jesus sprinkles his blood, which is powerful and effective, on even your conscience so no guilt remains. I'm guilt-free, man. I am free. I'm free from me and I'm free from you, which means I'm only his. You can be too. Wow. Right? And so I think what happens, and this is going to feel like I'm, once again, I'm not mad at you and God isn't either. But when we look at sin, man, when we keep God's promises small, you keep the finished work of Christ small and petty like we would, weird stuff happens. So if you keep God's grace small, whatever is that thing that you keep doing that you don't want to do, you'll do it again. You'll do it again. You ever have that moment? where you already, you know, generally in life feel a little guilty, feel a little shame, and then the thought enters of that thing you know you're not supposed to do. But you already live under shame and guilt and condemnation. And I, I meet this most in college guys. There's things they know they're not supposed to do, but they live in a place of shackled by shame and guilt and condemnation. So that thought comes in their head, I'm already guilty. I'm already under condemnation. I'm already full of shame. It can't get any worse, and then it gets worse. So when we don't live under what God has provided by his son, we live really weird lives where we proclaim with our mouth that we're free, but we are anything but. And so when I look at this, God wants his bride purified. God wants you to be holy because he's holy because he wants to meet with you. This isn't some weird demand from a God that's like, you best be holy. No, this is, I want you holy so you can come in. I want you have to be holy to come in, and I'll make a way for you to be holy. And so hear me, the cross speaks. Like the cross demands that you be holy. And I think some of us, we have chained ourselves to things, and you are convicted right now because you've been playing around with things that Jesus paid for on the cross. And so what, what I want you to do, I don't want you to do anything. I want you to surrender. And Jesus, I want you to apply this work to my life. Sprinkle your blood on my conscience and show me the freedom that only you can provide. That's what I want for you. Because here's what you need to understand about sin. Sin tarnishes relationship. Now, some of you are like, well, if you're married and you cheat on your wife, will it affect the relationship? So you're like, yes. <laughs> same thing. So here's God of everything, purified his kids, and then we go and mess around with sin. It tarnishes the relationship. Not God's love for you. God loves you. But it affects your ability to receive that love. 
It really does. And so I think when we say things like, oh, I know it's wrong, but I'm gonna do it anyway, grace, that's not grace. That's demonic. And so once again, I'm not mad at you. God's not mad at you. Jesus is powerful, alive, and the great freedom bringer to his kids. If we come to him, take up his yoke and burden, and let him set us free. Notice how that wasn't, you get yourself free. You get to the cross. That was all him. That was all him. Jesus is powerful, and he washes us so clean. This is my testimony to you. It's true. It's happened to me. So many years ago, I, I, when I got saved, I was on an island in Tennessee. I know where I was, and the Lord said to me, I don't know if it was audible, but it was pretty loud in my head. He said, Andrew, you know what the world offers. And at that point, I did. There's a laundry list of sexual sin, drug sins, just horrible things that I've done. You know what the world offers, and you know what I'm offering. Choose. And I chose him because he chose me. And I have forever been marked and changed by the love of Jesus. He, he, he saved me. He saved me. And here's the problem, though. I sat on that island for two days just guilt-laden. Like, I was like, man, Lord, I, I don't know. Like, you, you know I did that, right? Like, when we did that to that guy, when we stole that thing, when we did that, when I did all that, like, Lord was like, I know. And then two days later, they were like, you should get baptized. And here's the thing, if you're, if you're at a camp and you get baptized without telling your parents, they will be mad, but they will be happy. So I got baptized, all right? And what I'm gonna tell you is it was really cool. Like I felt all this shame and all this guilt and what kept flooding back to my mind was all the list of things that I had done. And I remember they dunked me in that water. And when I came up, I could not remember a single one. I could, like, you're like, you're just, no, I, it wasn't there. It was taken away from me. My conscience was sprinkled. There was no more guilt. All there was was, wow. And I went back to school and I told everybody about how Jesus had taken every dirty, sinful act I had ever done and he had made me clean. And you should know him too. That was my life for about a couple years. And then somewhere around Bible school, something happened. I stopped coming to Jesus and picking up his yoke and I started picking up burdens that weren't mine. And I started being like, well, this is contingent on how much of this I know. And this is contingent on how pure I feel. And this is like, oh, I better do more things for God. And before long, my walk with God felt real heavy. Until in about the last year, I almost feel like I got saved again. I came to Jesus. He took every burden I've ever had. And I have prayed for more people and told more people about the righteousness available in only Jesus and ever in my life. And so some of you, hear me, you're confessing the right things. You are. You even believe them, but you have not come to Jesus and you're not living on this side of the cross. And so you're not free. You're chained. But he's the great bringer of freedom. And I want freedom for you. Jesus is powerful. What would it be like if you were free? I'm talking to Christians. If you were free. Because I think there's a danger in not entering into the promise, but claiming we have. And I'll show it to you. So... I don't have a yoke because I'm not a farmer, nor do I own oxen. But let's just pretend, right? So a yoke, you'd have a, an oxen here and an oxen here, and it would sit over their backs, and then they would drive like a plow. So Jesus paints this. He said, come to me if you're heavy burdened, 
and heavy and weary and come to me and I'll give you rest, right? So what we do is we come to Jesus. Jesus, save me from my sin because I don't want to go to hell. And then we keep the burden. The problem is if we don't enter into the promise and find the rest and the righteousness that Jesus provides, this is what happens. We go to people and we're like, you should know Jesus. And they're like, why? Because uh, he saves from sins and you don't want to go to hell. And they're like, it looks really, really fun, but I'm going to pass. Right? Why? Because Jesus said, come to me if you're weary and you're heavy and I will give you rest. Instead, we're like, no, I got to hold this. And he's like, I held it. So did you know that righteousness creates boldness? So if you get me a person that understands that Jesus saves them, that has done this, and has dumped it off and has grabbed hold of Jesus, they will tell every person they meet, Jesus saved me. He took my dirty and he gave me clean. He gave me righteousness and right standing with God. Praise God that I'm free. This is the Christian life. This is the joy everlasting. This is eternal life right now, knowing Jesus personally, him taking my burdens. And some of us have burdens to give. Give them to him. So righteousness creates boldness. You don't have anything on me anymore. He took them all. Righteousness also creates rest for your soul. So And I'm not talking like, go do, I'm talking like, Jesus, it's so good to be here with you. So good to me. That's rest for my soul. You can't take it from me and neither can they. And some of you that's been missing in your Christian life and so you've been carrying your burdens. You you came to Jesus, you you still got the yoke on your back and you're like, man, this is so restful. And you're just like falling over. Throw it off. You're not in the old covenant anymore and you're in the new Get on the right side of the cross and let him purify you and make you new and send you out with full boldness and joy. You should not leave here today the same way that you came in. Because if you encounter Jesus and he wants to meet with you face to face today, you will not be the same. So let me just set, set the tone here. I'm gonna ask you some baseline Christian doctrine questions and it is everything. God so loved the world that he gave the son. God so loved the world that he gave the son that he gave himself who is the the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. It was by him and through him all things were made. He made payment. He purified us from our sins. How did he do that? So the son did what? The son gave his life. The son died. The son died as the perfect sacrifice whose blood stopped all other sacrifices because it's the perfect payment. And the son, by his life, but not only his life, Jesus didn't stay dead because on the third day he rose. And I know it's not Easter. Some, some of you are like, ah, it's, that's it. Jesus rose. Jesus is alive. Jesus wants to apply his righteousness to your life and you will be ever free. Do not pick up again a yoke of slavery. We love slavery. I don't know why. We love it. This feels comfortable to us. Like, I can manage this. I can control this. I can feel this. Jesus wants you free. So we are his people. And what do you believe? Like, we can't afford any longer to be people that say, I believe you set me free, but not walk in it. We can't. John 8, so if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. 
Jesus wants to set you free. And I know some of you right now are like, well, that's great for this guy next. No, that's for you. You lose your life in the sun and pick up his. It's the best thing. This is the news. This is the gospel. Our God is a great, holy God. I mean, I can't go into his presence, but in Jesus, I can. And in Jesus, you can. And so that's exactly what we're going to do. We are going to run to Jesus. And the band's coming up, and we're going to worship. And I didn't crush your guitar this time, Dave, so great. There's a thing called repentance in Christianity, and I think we got it all wrong. Normally, when we think of repentance, we think, I know that I'm going this way, and I shouldn't, and this is how it's been explained to me my whole life, so I will turn, and I will go this way. How much of that is contingent on you? Usually everything, right? My willpower, my strength, my, no. All I want from you is this. Jesus, apply this work to my heart and my life. Your word is true. Set me free in Jesus' name. Come, I come to you. I am weary. Give me rest. Because that's the next thing Jesus says. Learn from me. If I was to learn from you, how long would I have to sit with you? How often? Regularly, right? Almost every day. So don't just confess with your mouth and maybe believe in your heart. Come to Jesus and have him set you free and give you his burdens. I tell you what, man, this life is, it's amazing. And so this is what we're gonna do. This is why we sing. We sing because we are the free people of God. We sing because our king has forever and always done away with our sin. We have reason to sing. We are free because he set us free. So some of you right now, we're gonna worship and you just need to worship your face off. Others of you are so full of shame and guilt, you need to confess, like, God, I don't want this. I want what you have. Set me free. Set me free. And so there's gonna be prayer counselors up here all from the rest of this day. And there'll always be some in the prayer room back there. They would love to pray over you. Jesus, you are the worthy king of heaven and earth. Thank you. Thank you for your blood poured out. Thank you, Jesus, that we get to come to you right now and know you. I pray for freedom for many sons and daughters. I pray that Satan would shut his mouth and that, Jesus, you would speak. You would call us out of shame, call us out of guilt, call us out of condemnation and into life eternal, full of joy and freedom in the good things of God. You are a holy God. There is no other. We come to your son, Jesus, that he might save us and cleanse us and purify us from all sin and that we might no longer listen to our old master, but listen to you alone. Jesus, do that work right here in this room. Purify your bride. Purify your bride. Purify your people. Repentance. Call them to yourself. So I'm gonna leave you right there, people. We're gonna worship the Lord. We're gonna pray and we're gonna seek I'm not asking you to, I'm not asking you to sing. I'm not asking you to do anything. I'm asking you to set yourself before the living God and Jesus set me free. That's it. Let's worship.